Welcome to Backstage with Becca B with special guest Emily Batista. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Backstage with Becca B. On this episode, this Connecticut native auditioned and booked Miss Saigon when her dad sent Cameron McIntosh an email asking about upcoming auditions. Since booking the understudy for Kim and Miss Saigon on Broadway, she's also gone on tour as Eponine and Les Miserables and went on the Miss Saigon tour where she played the lead Kim. Please welcome Emily Batista. Hi, how are you? I'm so good, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Thank you for uh, reaching out. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Of course, I got to see you as Kim and Miss Saigon, so Aww. I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you. Well, what city did you come to? Uh, it was Pantages, so LA. It was in LA. Yeah, it was Pantages. Yeah. That's amazing. So, how have you been? This has kind of been a weird time with, I mean, theater got like rapidly taken away because of everything that happened in 2020 and hopefully it'll come back soon, but it's been weird, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the first month off was such a weird adjustment process because, you know, um, I, I've been very fortunate to work for the last three years, and then all of a sudden, everything stopped, and, um, you know, I went from traveling every single week, every Monday, and then going, you know, staying home with my family for a month that turned into two months, that turned into eight months, and then, <laughs> So, you know, and I think um, at first it was hard to like wrap my mind around the fact that theater wasn't happening, you know, it was like, we were, no one was doing anything. And so um, it was a very odd adjustment. And I think, you know, we're all very ready to start performing again, start working, start making art, hopefully sometime soon. <laughs> yes, I'm ready to see every, all these talented people back on stage singing <laughs> what they love and seeing them enjoy what they love and sitting in the audience crying. No, I love that. <laughs> Are you also a performer? Uh, I was as a child, but right, but now I'm more of like the behind the scenes, like fan person. I want to do social media eventually for something involving theater. That's amazing. Yeah. So you have a very interesting uh, story for your uh, theater career and how you got cast in Miss Saigon. But first, have you always known that you wanted to be a theater performer? Yeah, you know, for the longest time, I always knew I wanted to be a singer. I think when I was really little, I didn't know um, in what capacity I wanted to be able to perform. I was, I was like a diehard country fan growing up. So like, you know, at some point I thought I'd be, I'd have like a girl group, like the, like the chicks, like the Dixie, formerly known as the Dixie chicks. And, um, you know, I, maybe like a Taylor Swift story. And then I wasn't introduced until to theater until I turned somewhere around like 10 or 11 and I was able to do my first show. Um, so that was when that bug kind of bit and it was the king and i and a couple of years later i got to do les miserables um and i played little cosette and so it was just like this very um like such a classic welcoming into theater you know with two classics like those shows um and i just fell in love so i went to high school and i studied a lot of theater i went through a half day arts program um and i studied a lot of theater but when i was applying to college um you know i i thought it was taking a turn and i you know, there was a second where I didn't think, you know, this would be my path. This would be my career. Okay. And then you got to college and you did communications and theater. And I saw that you were going to transfer into communications. And then you got a call from Miss Saigon <laughs> on Broadway. 
Yeah, it was such a crazy story. So when I um, was applying to colleges, I applied all BFA musical theater programs, um, the top programs in the country. And out of the eight, I got rejected from seven of them. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, after hearing no, so many times I really started to believe it. And, you know, I started to believe that, okay, I must not be cut out. If I can't get into a college program for this, there's no way I could break into the theater scene here in New York City or break in the TV film industry. Um, so that was kind of when I made that decision to, I, I first started with journalism and then I landed on communications management and design and I have a minor in theater. Um, and I was kind of almost like prepared to go that route. And then a nice little change of events happened. So how did you find out about the Miss Saigon auditions and how, and like, why did you audition for it at the time? I mean, cause it sounds like you were, maybe you weren't as confident as you were pre-college at the time. Yeah. Maybe getting the part brought your confidence back up and you were like, okay, I can do this again. No, definitely. So when I was in high school and, um, you know, all the rejection letters were coming in left and right. My dad, um, who's, he's an insurance, has no connection to the business, just found Cameron McIntosh, our producer, his email on his website and shot them an email saying that, you know, uh, my daughter loves theater. She's really great. If you have any auditions, we'd love to hear about it. And when he told me this, I was like, you're crazy. I was like, there's no way we're going to hear anything. Um, but like, crazily enough, two months later, um, a casting director at Tara Rubin's agency, they uh, asked me, emailed me for my headshot and resume. And I was like, oh, this is weird. And we didn't know Miss Saigon was casting at the time um, or they were getting ready to cast. They were in London um, doing their West End run. And it just so happened that timing was perfect. They were bringing it over to New York City and um, I was the right age and in, in the right place. And, you know, um, I always think back if I had chosen to go to a different college, the audition process would have been a lot harder because I was just up at Ithaca. So I would hop on a bus, six hours, be in the city, come back up, do some classes. And then that happened for almost over the span of half of a year um, that I was going back and forth between Ithaca, New York and the wow. city. So it was a very crazy, um, yeah. And so when, when Tara Rubin, uh, got my information, it took the, it was a year had passed. And so I really thought that was like out the door and I was a freshman in college and I had just had like a mental breakdown. Cause I told my parents, I was like, I don't know. Like, I was like, I I'm committing to communications, but I'm thinking about, you know, trying to take lessons or something. I was just so like lost, very lost. And, um, and then this audition came up and, um, yeah, kind of change things. I feel like it's good to hear from people that it does take time mm -hmm. and it doesn't always happen like that. So yeah. like, I feel like patience is key and like, you can't be like, okay, I didn't hear back like the next week. I obviously didn't get the part of the audition, like it's over. Like yeah. you can still be hopeful after a year. Absolutely, you know, it was kind of crazy because, um, sorry, I put potatoes in the oven and I'm gonna take them out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, what do you call it? Yeah. So I, it, it was so crazy because it felt like every time that I started to lose faith, you know, a month would pass by and I wouldn't hear anything. Um, it was like the second I started to lose faith was the day I got an email um, asking to come back down, come back down into the city and, um, you know, audition again. Oh, it is. It's like this big roller coaster in the time, you know, it, it, it is, it, it's kind of spread out over a long period of time. 
Yeah, so uh, who did you audition for when you went in? Did you audition for the understudy of Kim when you initially went in or was it? Yeah, so we understudied for, um, it was the Kim understudy uh, uh, bar girl track um, in the ensemble. And my first audition I had was with Mary Sugarman. And then um, after that, uh, more people started piling in. And then my last audition was with Cameron and, you know, our, our writers, Claude Michelle, Schoenberg, and Elaine Bouvier. Um, Yeah, so it was just kind of, and Lawrence Connor, our director. So, yeah. Was that unreal being like so young and thrown into that? Yes. So someone who, um, he, he was our executive producer, associate um, producer, executive producer. He uh, is from uh, a town over from where I live. So whenever I would come to audition, we would chat and um, he would really, you know, guide me through everything just to make sure I was okay because I was so young and um, just making sure that I was comfortable with, you know, auditioning with different Chris's, auditioning with different yeah. Alex, meeting everybody. But I remember the day that, that I had that audition with like the whole team, he was like, it's okay. It's like everyone, you know, um, but there's two Frenchmen and an English guy in there. And like, I was in such like a, like a, I don't know, like in another place that when I went in and I saw it was Cameron McIntosh and our t- the two writers. And I was like, that's like that. <laughs> I was like, no, no, two very special Frenchmen and one very special English, English man. It was in that room. Um, so it was kind of a shock. I didn't realize that they were all going to be there that day. Wow. How did you calm your nerves pre that audition? You know, I think um, it, I was always so nervous being outside the room, but the second I got inside the room, all the nerves melted away. You know, I think there was so much pent up um, anxiety and uh, nervousness going into it, but being, and this is something I miss about, you know, the theater world when we're not in a pandemic is being able to be in front of other people and create with other people and feed off of the energies of other people. Um, it was so comforting once I got in there because everyone was so nice. Everyone behind the table, even though, you know, there were these legends that I had looked up to my whole entire life, they were so kind and they, um, they really, you know, were patient with me because I was 17 and um, I had some training under my belt, but not any, any professional. So, or well, not any professional work. Um, so they were very patient with me and very kind and the nerves kind of settled once, uh, once we got started. That's interesting because like, I feel like you're the second person out of everyone I've interviewed who's kind of, who's said that like, you've been relaxed in an audition. The first person said that she views it as like a chance to perform for the yeah. people auditioning for. Absolutely. Like I, and I, you know, I won't say that I have no nerves at all. Like I'll be outside that room, like pant, like, you know, very trying to like, calm my breath and everything. The nerves are high. But the second, um, the second they start playing the piano and the second, you know, uh, I get to walk into that room. I think one of the, the key things about auditioning is just being yourself. You know, we spend so much time working together that people want to work with people that they like, that they get along with. And um, so it's a, it's a big personality test as well. And people who are excited for the project. So yeah, exactly. what did you know about Miss Saigon before going into to play the role and what did you learn while researching and preparing and rehearsing for the show? Definitely. So going into it, I only knew like the big major songs and I knew the storyline, um, but it was all these little scenes that I had, I wasn't too familiar with. So getting to learn that and getting to fill in these scenes um, that helped tell the story um, was key. and It was major. Um, so that was something that I, I learned along the way, all these 
scenes with her and just Tam, her talking to the kids and um, her talking to her son um, and building that motherly relationship. You know, I, I knew it was going to be a challenge and I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't know physically and emotionally to the extent it would be. Um, but at the same time, the way that the show is constructed is that you, they, you, we are on stage as Kim's a lot alone, but the ensemble's there. The, there's a whole cast there that is just, you know, feeding you with energy the whole time and really helps tell the story and move the story along. So, you know, it's a journey that we kind of all just hop on together, which has been nice. What was it like working with the young Tams on stage? My little babies. <laughs> um, they were so cute. They were just, I love kids. And um, especially that age is so funny because they start around three turning four and then they normally leave around five or six. So those like two, three years are just them growing up. And it's so crazy um, to watch, you know, them evolve and start to pick up on things. And some of my favorite memories, you know, I would be singing the final scene with them. And one of my Tams would be mouthing along the words with me while I sang it to him on stage, like just like really cute things like that. And it's just so funny too, because, you know, being um, in theater, we all take it so personally, we all take it so seriously. But then you have a four-year-old running around backstage and, you know, yeah. they're just filling, filling life and, you know, being they so true and authentic. Yeah. Light to all the cast and happiness. And it's like when someone's having an off day, you could probably count on the Tams backstage to cheer you all up. <laughs> they were so cute. You know, we would go to the Tam room anytime, like, you know, I was feeling down or feeling bogged down. And, you know, there was one time where I was sick and I had the worst cough. And um, one of my Tams came, knocked on my dressing room and handed me cough drops. I was like, such an angel. He was so sweet. My heart, my heart. I know. What, what was your reaction, kind of backtracking a little bit to close to your audition, what was your reaction when you found out that you got the part? Um, so for Saigon Broadway, it was so, so crazy. I um, was on FaceTime uh, with uh, the guy I was seeing at the time and he was asking, he was like, did you get it? Do you, do you know? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I haven't heard from anything. Like, I, I, I don't know if I got it. And then while we were FaceTiming, I, I got the email saying um, that was the offer for um, the part. And so I like stopped talking for like five minutes. And then my roommate was in the shower and I like ran into the shower, into the bathroom. And she like pulled me in the shower and I was like, I got it. And we were like screaming and like, she, like, <laughs> like she was in the shower, but we just like were so excited. And so that was like when I found out. And um, yeah, it's just a very, very crazy day. And since you were in the ensemble too, you had a track for Broadway, you obviously had to learn some choreography. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take during the rehearsal process? And was it scary? Did you have dance experience previously? You know, so it, it was a little, I, I, I won't lie. It was definitely, that was the thing I was the most scared about being in the ensemble was being able to keep up with these dancers that were like Broadway dancers, um, you know, that, that were raquettes and, um, yeah like high caliber, you know, dancers, but, you know, everyone was so kind and so patient with me. And they all, you know, they kind of knew that, um, I don't want to generalize, but a, a lot of the camps that come in are singer actors first and dancers yeah. as a third. So they were aware of that. And I, I had um, some dance training in high school. Um, I had played a couple dance parts and, you know, but I'd never 
I, I didn't grow up dancing competitively. Um, so I took my jazz, I took ballet and, um, you know, and, and, and was familiar with it. But for me, I think when it comes to dance, it takes me twice as long to learn it, but I am able to learn it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was frightening because everyone was like kicking their face and I was and you're like, how do you do that? <laughs> okay, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try, I don't know if I can. No, but I still like remember all that choreography. It's so funny. Well, do you remember your Broadway debut? Yes, it was. It was so crazy because um, there were I think ten other uh, people in the cast that were also making their Broadway debut. Yeah, and it was so fun because it was just a huge celebration. And I think it was one of you know I look back and I think I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience just because it was so many people were making their Broadway debut. And so many people had been in five or six Broadway shows. So the experience levels and, you know, being able to learn from, you know, very experienced actors and also being able to um, celebrate, you know, that major milestone for um, like a lot of our cast was really, really cool. So I'm going to get back into Miss Saigon because you obviously went back to Miss Saigon on the tour recently, but in between you played Eponine and Les Mis. Yeah. So that's another classic. And obviously you had played Cosette before, as you mentioned in school. How is it different playing Eponine and Les Mis for Broadway tour versus like being in Les Mis and like your school production? Oh, absolutely. So I had actually done Les Mis twice before doing it professionally. Um, my high school production, I, I was able to play Eponine. Um, so it was, so I have like a lot of really great memories with the show and it's just so crazy. I was talking to someone uh, the other day that the music in Miss Saigon and Les Mis are just so iconic. Yeah. Um, so like being backstage during Les Mis and hearing the, at the end of the day, start to play. It's yeah, absolutely. You know, there's goosebumps and it's so cool how um, they stage at the end of the day. Cause it's the whole cast is behind the screens is behind the scrims. And I just remember the first time I got to go on with the whole cast, it was, we were all huddled up behind the, behind the scrim and they start playing that iconic music. And I just had goosebumps and goosebumps all over. And I was able to be a part of that show for six months and the goosebumps never died down. I'm, I, it, it was just something so very, very cool. Um, and also getting to play that character eight times a week um, was so it was so much fun because you every single night is a new opportunity to discover something more um and i never had that opportunity with that character because you know high school you do it for two weekends and that's about it um so being able to do it eight times a week was some of the most fun i've ever had speaking of that how are you like eponine and how do you think you're different from eponine absolutely you know i um i feel like with Eponine, she definitely has a little bit of me and I got a little bit of her. You know, I admire her strength and her fearlessness and how, you know, badass and sassy she is. And, you know, I think um, something that we both have alike is I, I definitely am a hopeless romantic and I think she absolutely is. But my, uh, one of my favorite things about her is that at the end of the day, she's just a good friend. She's a good person. And I, my favorite thing about hers and Mary's relationship is that they're best friends, you know, they're soulmates, but maybe not romantically, maybe just they have to be in each other's lives. And they're, um, she's just, you know, the best friend you could ever ask for. And she's so fearless. So I love that about her. And I, you know, I think after I played it, I was able to walk away with a little bit more of that kind of confidence that she has. And I think, 
you know, like everyone, she struggles a bit with the insecurity and, you know, being in love with someone that doesn't love you back and that rejection, but the way she handles it, her perseverance and her, just her passion and her love for another person um, has always been something I admired and try to emulate. She's very three-dimensional, even though she doesn't get like much time on stage. Yeah. I mean, she gets like a third of the show, maybe a little less on mm -hmm. stage. Like the audience connects with her. How did you, how did you make the audience connect with her and like step into the shoes of Eponine and bring your own spin to the character? Absolutely. So one of the, my favorite things that um, my director, Lawrence Connor said was that she is so artistic. And I had never thought of Eponine as being an artistic character. But when you listen to the lyrics and on my own, she creates this whole beautiful world around her. And she's in the middle of the slums in Paris, you know, so it's like, she is able to see past her state, um, her, where she is in life and, and make it beautiful, see the beauty. She's such an optimist. Um, while, you know, she's, she's the girl that gets rejected. She's the girl that has the, the insecurities. Um, I think she's not a very hard person to relate with. I think we've all been there in life where it's yeah. just like, you know, we feel that rejection and we, we, we try so hard and, um, you know, it, sometimes it feels a little bit hopeless, but something that I love about her is that she never gives up. She never, you know, and, and I think that's something that, um, that was easy for me to relate with, with the fact that, you know, I I've, I've felt the rejection, but every morning you have to try and, you know, fight through it and take every day one step at a time. And um, I, I think the lyrics are so, um, they just, they ring so true. So I think um, when I was trying to take on that character, I just thought about the lyrics. I thought about what her story was and what she was saying. Cause I was like, I've been there and I know all of my friends have been there. My family has been there and has felt like an Eponine at one point in their life. Yes, for sure. Uh, did you have to pinch yourself when you first sang on your own yes. or on my own? Yeah, it was definitely, um, I mean, you know, that was one of the first songs that made me fall in love with theater. Um, it's like the best. Yeah, you know, so getting to sing that and getting to um, be in front of the epic barricade and have the smoke, it was just, uh, yeah, I every night I was in awe that I, you know, I had the honor of being able to sing that song. How have you like kept the positivity up backstage and in real life when playing such like, when playing characters in such heavy shows? Cause I feel like both Kim and Eponine, you're in a heavy show and it's like, it's not a happy show. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think, um, I, I love this question because it's so true. You know, the material's tough. It's not like the happiest material in the world, but I've been very fortunate to be in um, three different casts, three different productions that just everyone had each other's back. You know, I think we all knew we were telling a hard story um, and especially taking on the role as Kim, taking on the role as Eponine. Uh, those backstage moments were, were were key, were everything, you know, and when we were on tour together, you know, the cast, we would do, the girls, we would do wine and cheese nights, and we would unwind together, and yes. you know, bond that way, and so I think um, while we tell these heart-wrenching stories on stage, we create, you know, the most heartwarming memories backstage, and that's, you know, what helps keep the positivity up. Are you more of a Cosette or an Eponine? I'm definitely more of an Eponine. Okay. I love Cosette, um, and, but, I, but I, at heart, I am definitely more of an Eponine. 
Are you like me and like always wishing that there's gonna be like some spinoff where Eponine and Marius end up together? <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, you know, I think it's a known fact that Eponine dies in the show. Yes. But, um, you know, I, maybe in an alternate reality, I don't know if I would have, um, I would have wanted her and Marius to end up together. I think, you know, I love the, it's, it's a hard, bittersweet ending where the fact that, you know, she dies in his arms, but I, you know, in my head, Marius does love her, yeah. not in a romantic way, but he loves her like, um, like, like a best friend. And I think, um, I think that might be even more powerful. And I think, you know, if she were to have lived through that, she would have found someone who loved her the same way that she loved, you know, Marius and someone who did have that romantic connection with her. But I, I do love her relationship with Marius very much because I think um, they're just best friends at the end of the day. Besides Eponine's big song, On My Own, what was your favorite song in Les Mis to uh, sing? I love A Little Fall of Rain. I just think it's so pretty. It's so, so pretty. And um, yeah, that one was a really fun one to do. And actually all the little parts, like all the little um, in uh, scenes that transition. Yeah. Some of my favorite stuff, I just like, it was so fun to sing and the music was always so pretty. Do you have like a favorite stage door memory from being in Les Mis? Like did people come and like, were there super fans of Les Mis that would yeah. come and like compliment like your singing? Because like... <laughs> For those who haven't heard you singing, your singing is incredible. Thank you. You're too sweet. Um, yes, in Dallas, uh, something that will always stick in my mind. Actually, two different uh, scenarios. But there was, I'm, I was able to meet this girl. Her name was Jackie, and she was Asian. Uh, she is uh, Asian. And I met her at the stage store, and she wrote me this whole letter about representation. Um, and it was just amazing because, you know, it was growing up, I didn't really think, you know, I knew the roles that were played by Asians before me. And I knew the roles that, you know, maybe one day I would play as well. Um, but to see someone who was a teenager and tell me that, you know, seeing someone who looked like her on stage meant the world to her, meant the world to me, because I remember the first time getting to see that with Leia Salonga and being like, yeah. she looks like me. And, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, so that was definitely one of my favorite ones. So obviously, Les Mis was your first tour. Yeah. What did you learn on the Les Mis tour that <laughs> helped you with the Miss Saigon tour when you got that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think traveling is a, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, when you add the travel, it, oddly enough, when it comes to singing and it comes to, you know, your body's performance, the environmental factors are major. Um, you know, those two, three hours we spent on an airplane really dry out the vocal cords and you know, you get to the next city with a bunch of jet lag. Um, so it's just, it was main, it was finding out how to maneuver those environmental factors, as well as, you know, I'm such a foodie. So I love going out and eating, yes. all, eating all the food in every different city. Um, and like, you know, at first I would be like, no, 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 I gotta like, I have to eat healthy. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. But then I was like, no, like, you know, we get the opportunity. Yeah. We get the opportunity to explore different, um, cities all over America and explore the culture and you know so I found a lot of comfort in finding some of the best restaurants in um in every city it was one of my favorite things to do um but yeah just I think um the self-care I really started to learn how to take care of myself and you know at night when you know I couldn't sleep at night and I was just scrolling my phone I, I would have to talk to myself and be like 
no, you need your rest. You need to sleep and you take care of your body. Um, so it was always finding that balance of how to do that while traveling. Especially because we know that the light on our phones like keeps us awake, but we're like so addicted to it that it's like hard to put it down. So it's like you, you need to have like the conversation with your with yourself that's like, no, put the phone down. I know it's hard, but you can look at it in the morning. Exactly. It's a, that's a, it's a hard one. I still struggle with it all the time, but yeah. Same. I, I'm like up at like 2 a.m. scrolling and I'm like, wait, it's already 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which city had the best food? Because you mentioned food. So I have to know. Seattle. Seattle is one of my favorite cities um, to visit. Seattle and New Orleans. Um, but every time, because after Les Mis, uh, I made sure to see that Saigon was going to Seattle and they were, and I was so excited because they have, um, I'm Filipino and they have this amazing Filipino restaurant um, in the middle of the public market. And on top of that, they just have incredible food, incredible culture there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I need to go to Seattle. I mean, I've seen pictures of that market over and over again. And I'm like, just for that. And I know it's like gloomy and stuff all the time, but it doesn't matter if like there's tour stuff to do, then I can be entertained. Although I will say, I think when I was in Les Mis, we were there for two weeks and it may have only rained like four days. Really? Yeah. So, you know, there were some beautiful days and the days that it is beautiful because one of my favorite things about Seattle is that it's a major city and there's a bunch of nature all around. Um, So it it, it just was beautiful looking out at the ocean, Mount Rainier in the distance. um, Yeah, it's very lovely there. So after the Les Mis tour, you went back with Miss Saigon. How much, like how much time passed before you got back to Miss Saigon and did you re-audition or did the creators like ask you to be part of the tour? Yeah, so um, I did a couple auditions before I left for the Miss Saigon tour um, or before I left for the Les Mis tour um, for Miss Saigon tour. And I did two more auditions while I was on the road with Les Mis. um, And then I was offered the part of, Kim maybe four months into my run um yeah and so I ended up finishing around six months and then um I had one week off and then it was back to New York City back in the rehearsal room and then we kicked it off it was a very whirlwind experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world (laughs) what was different stepping back into the role as a lead now yeah there was definitely a lot of um there was a lot of pressure to you know hold a happy face you know to to um kind of be that that leading factor and being um I I think I was 20 when we started that tour um I was still learning but after being in Les Mis my leading our leading man in Les Mis was just an incredible role model and so you know I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot from Eva when she was playing it on Broadway so I had these experiences and I knew what I wanted to do as a leading lady so I went into that and I knew that there was that pressure of that. Um, but the second we all got into the rehearsal room, you know, everyone was supporting me and it was very, it was, it was so nice, you know, to be able to talk to everybody and everyone was, you know, so excited to be telling this story. Um, so it was a team effort and um, yeah, it was just so much fun to be able to build it from the ground up again. How do you think you had grown as a performer from being on the Les Mis tour? Definitely. You know, I, acting was something I had always struggled with and I, um, the Les Mis tour really challenged me in that way. Um, so when I got back to playing Kim on the Saigon tour, I felt 
definitely more grounded and more rooted in um, myself as an actress and, you know, still growing and still learning every single day along the way. Um, I, I think after the Les Mis tour, I knew how to take care of my body and I knew what I needed to do for myself to be able to perform at 100% every night. You know, I think as actors, we can't take care of a character if we can't take care of ourselves. You know, if we don't give 100% to ourselves, we can't give 100% to our characters. Um, and so that was something I learned throughout the Les Mis tour and also um, kept learning on how to better improve that statement throughout the Saigon tour. Wow. So, I mean, you probably, you're, uh, Kim probably changed leaps and bounds. Oh, yeah. From so, when you played it. I don't know how many times you played it on Broadway. Yeah, I think but, like 15. I can't remember. But it probably changed leaps and bounds. How how did it specifically change that you can point out? Definitely. I think, um, so I think the difference in being a cover for a role and then playing it every night or six times a week for Kim um, is getting to dive deeper and deeper and solidify the things that you um, want to share about the character and then also experiencing new things. Um, when I would play it in New York, I would play it maybe for one night, two nights here, and then a month would pass. And every time I left the stage thinking, oh, I wanted to try this next time. I want to try this next time. Um, so I have to remember to do this. And I think as a cover, you have that challenge of, you know, being thrown on stage um, at, at a whim's notice. And I would always get in my head because I would think about my past performance and what I wanted to try new and what I wanted to change because I didn't know when the next time I'd be able to do that. Um, playing it every night, I was able to leave the stage and be like, I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. I can't wait to fix what I you know, didn't love about tonight. But also at the same time, um, the show, live theater is growing and it's changing and evolving and it's real. Um, so every show was different whether I liked it or not, you know, different energies are brought onto the stage and we all feed off of those different energies. So while we tell the same story, we tell it, you know, a different way every night. It changes slightly every single night. And obviously other people had played Kim before. So how did you like work on putting your own spin on the character of Kim? Definitely, you know, I think it was, um, I won't lie, there was a lot of pressure in the beginning was to, you know, respect to the past Kims that came for me and not, you know, take the work that they had done. Um, but instead like make it my own and also pay homage to the Kims that came before me because they're icons like Leia Salonga and even Obisnata. So, and I was able to learn a lot from them. I think when it came down to playing it every night, I had to um, keep the faith in the fact that, you know, we all have different life experiences. We all handle different challenges differently. So even though we're telling the same story, you know, my outlook on it might be different from the way, you know, past Kims have played it. And, you know, I think I wanted to, like you said, like stay true to myself and make it my own. Um, so going back to the text and then also asking myself, well, how would I, you know, handle it if I was there and doing my own research on it. I'm a journal uh, journaler. So I like to pick up my journal, pick up a pen and kind of write from Kim's experience, Kim's, um, her from her perspective and that's something that always helped me um to like meld myself and Kim together you all Kim also goes through such like she grows during the show very fast very fast yeah like it, it's like speedy how like how did you portray that from like innocent Kim to like okay she knows the world now absolutely you know I think um a lot of the help comes into the text you know the different um 
scenarios she's facing. It's, you know, like her and like the actor, you're forced to grow up so fast. Um, there's, there's really no choice. I always say that Saigon is kind of like this train that once you get on it, it does not stop going. Um, so showing her growth and showing that, I think every challenge that she faces, she has to figure out how to conquer those, how to face them. Um, and that is what helps her grow throughout the show. You know, the different challenges, the different strives she has to face. And I feel like the songs in Miss Saigon that you, that Kim sings specifically, aren't easy songs. And there's a lot of belting moments. So how did you keep your voice like intact when it, you knew you had to sing those songs multiple times a week? Like in Les Mis, you're singing, you have one huge song like on, on my own, but in this show, you have a ton of belting moments. So yeah. it's very different. No, definitely. Um, you know, I think for me, a lot, a couple of things that really helped uh, was I did voice lessons on the road um, every other week, which was great. And, you know, I checked in with someone at Liz Kaplan's studio who uh, made sure everything was, you know, performing well and, you know, there were no vocal issues or anything. Um, something that, you know, I found along the way and I, I don't love working out, but I mean, I felt a huge difference every show. If I worked out in the morning, I felt a huge difference in the show at night. So that was something I found along the way. And I would work out, I would go for a run, I would go for a bike ride, I would go to the gym. And um, something that I learned, especially after playing Kim, was that singing and acting is a full body um, experience. It's, you know, it's a full body workout. So um, we have to train, like we're athletes, we have to train our bodies to be able to hold the stamina to do a show six and eight times a week. Did you ever sing while working out? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Like I would run on the treadmill and sing some of the songs that, you know, were the faster paced ones and the high belty ones, like the nightmare. Um, because yeah. truly on stage, it's just running back and forth. The whole cast is like running back and forth. And at the same time, um, singing all these high belty notes. So uh, breath work and um, just trying to stay in shape as best as I could was were the two major um, things for that. Oh my God, the first time I saw that scene, I was like, I'm tired just watching it. <laughs> it's so fun and it's crazy because that's, I think my favorite scene in all of Miss Saigon. Um, but it is, it's it's so crazy. I, I always remember like sitting down and doing the Sun and Moon reprise and it's kind of just like a breath of fresh air at a fifth, at, like after 15 minutes of sprinting back and forth and screaming and singing. Speaking of the songs in the show, what song was your favorite to sing? Um, I think... I, the Sun and Moon reprise, I think, is just so pretty. And it's, the the music behind it is so iconic. So getting to sing the more broken down version of that song, um, especially after the nightmare scene, was just one of my favorite things. It was something I always look forward to. The melody is just so pretty. Uh, did, what was your favorite scene in the show, specifically, besides that oh, one? The nightmare? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Maybe, I think maybe movie in my mind because you know you really we really get to um, see the girls, yeah, and get to see their story um, throughout the whole show because that's really the only time we're introduced to uh, the prostitutes in Vietnam, and it's the only time you know prior to that we see them dancing on bars and they look happy and they look you know um, just content. But, you know, that song, we see their struggle and we see, um, we see what they're facing through, you know, as 
as uh, being women in a war-torn country and trying to um, sustain themselves. Did you learn anything about history at that time that you don't think you would have learned had it not had you not been in the show? Definitely. So I actually um, a year into the run was able to go to Vietnam and go to the War Remnants Museum and do some research on the ground there. So that um, that was you know incredible, and I. I learned so much about the Vietnam War that I didn't learn in school growing up. Um, a lot of it, you know, we hear from the American perspective, but actually being able to go to Vietnam and hear from the Vietnamese perspective, there's so much, you know, we, we weren't taught in class. Yeah, there's so much that you learn in different countries, like from being there and seeing in person that it that's different than like looking at a textbook in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And pictures from the time. So what was your favorite memory from the Miss Saigon tour? Favorite memory from the Miss Saigon tour. Hmm. Oh, this is a hard one. There's so many. Um, you know, maybe our opening night. Our opening night was so fun because we had, um, there were eight people from the Broadway cast that were on tour together and everyone else, you know, a lot of us had mutual friends and got to know each other. But that night, everyone was so excited and we all stood in a circle held hands and um and we we just uh our chris anthony festa he you know gave a beautiful speech and we all just you know were together and went on this big journey and then at the at the end of the night we had a huge party and it was so much fun and we got to celebrate you know the kickoff of tour and um being able to build a family from the ground up uh it's just such a special feeling and to be able to celebrate all the work that we had just put in for the last two months was, um, it was just so much fun. It's one of my favorite shows now. It was my first time seeing it when you were on the tour. And I mean, I'm so glad that the, that the uh, Broadway version is on Broadway HD because when I want to listen to the music and like see the show. I'm like, okay, Broadway HD, I'm going to turn it on. I love that. Yeah. It, it, well, you've played a lot of classic roles in theater. You've gotten to play Eponine and you've gotten to play Kim yeah. in Les Mis and Miss Saigon. So what's a dream role of yours? So, I mean, I can't take full credit for this because I, I heard someone else say it, but it was so genius because, you know, because I have my dream roles like Eliza Hamilton. I, you know, I absolutely love to play Eliza in Hamilton. I would love to play Vanessa in The Heights. Um, but, you know, thinking back, it's those characters weren't alive 10 years ago. So who knows what characters are going to be alive in, in the next 10 years, the next five years. Um, so I would love, you know, to be able to build a character from the ground up and really be able to um, put a lot of myself into it and, you know, learn a lot from a character and tell a story that maybe hasn't been told yet or hasn't been told in the way it will be written in the future, um, you know there are incredible writers every single day writing new pieces, writing new stories. And there are a lot of stories I think that haven't been told yet, but um, looking at the way theater is projecting, I think we're gonna have a lot of very cool new stories in the future, a lot of new voices. Especially when theater does come back because I feel like a lot of the writers have been like sitting at home like writing 500 new yeah. musicals, so. I think it's gonna happen sooner or later. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I think so. If you could revive any Broadway show and be in it, what would it be? To revive any Broadway show? Yeah, and be in it. Ooh, 
That's such a good question. I've never thought about that. Buy any Broadway show and do that. Or anything that was off Broadway. Hmm. Oh, this is so tough. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe something like Carrie. I love the music in Carrie. Ooh. And I would love to, um, you know, be able to play Carrie. That would just be so fun. Um, shows like Wicked. Like, I would love to be in Wicked one day. But, um, yeah, I think somewhere along those lines. See, I could see Wicked. I was going to say that when when we were on the dream role subject, I was going to be like, I could see you playing Elphaba. I would love to. I, You know, that's one of the other shows that really launched my love for theater. Just being, singing, you know, No Good Deed in the bathroom. Um, I still do that. I have a green face mask that I do and sometimes do that. So. <laughs> well, love it. And you you have the belting down, so. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I love her story as well. Um, yeah, there's there's so many. There's so many roles out there that I would love to tackle one day. I have to ask, because we're on the subject of Wicked. Mm-hmm. You've seen Wicked. Oh, yeah. Okay, who was your first Elphaba Glinda? Oh, that is a good question. You know, I'm not actually positive, because I came on a class field trip when I was like 10 or 11. Um, my most recent one was Jackie Burns and actually my old roommate, uh, Libby Service. Um, so it was so crazy because we were living together at the time and Miss Saigon was on Broadway and she was working uh, at Wicked and she was the uh, Glinda alternate. And we got tickets randomly one day and we were sitting down and I was like, that's my roommate. And so later that night I saw her at home and I was like, I just saw you. <laughs> it yeah it was so funny because and I would always know if she was going on because she would have a bunch of glitter all over her and like big lashes obviously obviously and so we would come home at the same time and um yeah and so that night was so funny because I was like I just saw you just saw you on stage yeah, and I'm like now we're gonna go to bed across the room from each other or across the hall yeah. like good job yeah. <laughs> good night so she was amazing what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on stage in a show funniest thing that's ever happened there have been so many um mistakes by accident uh oh you know what one story I haven't really ever told but in Saigon there's a moment where um the engineer comes up behind Kim and she's standing on a chair and she's in a dress and like underwear underneath and he lifts her skirt and like it's like to show you know it's a very risque scene and so he's showing um sorry and so the way that they make it you know comfortable for all the kids is that they give them like spanks underneath so it's not just like you know a thong or a g-string and so I was in um I forgot that one day I forgot the underwear underneath so um it it was so bad because I didn't know until the engineer pulls her pants down and she's just in a dress that has two very very big slits on either side there you go so scary. All my like mid show uh, mess ups have been my fault completely, but also caught like it, it, it's always a dress thing where I'm like more naked than I need to be. Um, and so I was on stage, and the second the pants came off, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm not wearing any underwear. So then, like, walking around stage, and um, one of my friends was like, do you do not want me to tell any of the guys? And I went, no, tell all the guys because they all like, as like we do in that scene there's a lot of ass smacking and there's a lot of, you know, it's a very risky scene. I was like, no, 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 tell all the guys and tell them not to do anything. Um, and then one of my, one of my friends, um, was so kind. He had a two second break. He ran off stage, 
grabbed me the Spanx and like came back on stage and gave them to me and I put them on before that whole skirt lifting scene. So it was just, uh, it was a very panic um, in that one day. It's a little bit too breezy down there. How did you, speaking of those scenes, how did you get comfortable with the risque scenes? Absolutely. Um, being so young and especially doing it on Broadway in the ensemble, it, I, I was very nervous about it, but the, um, we, we always had check-ins. We always had the conversation, you know, everyone knew that it was a risque scene. Everyone knew that it was a very vulnerable scene. So we talked with our partners and, you know, and one of my favorite things that our choreographer would say is, you know, just because you're comfortable today does not mean you're going to be comfortable tomorrow. So have that check-in with your partner every single day. Females, maybe you don't want to be touched tomorrow and that's fine. We don't need that to tell a story. I think, um, you know, something that I always took um, value in was the fact that what we were doing on stage while it was hard, while it was risque, while it was vulnerable, was telling a story. It was being real and true to what was happening. Um, so being able to tell that story is so important. And if that's, you know, if that's the way to do it, then that's the way we're going to do it. And if that's the most impactful way, that's how we're going to do it. Um, but there was a lot of trust with, um, with the actors that were in those positions. You know, we, we always talked, we always, um, kept each other in the loop of how we were feeling that day. And, uh, it, it, you know, at the end of it, uh, it just became second nature and it was, um, you know, part of telling the story. Yeah. I mean, I props to everyone in that cast because like, it is a risque show. So yeah. it's like, you do wonder, you're like, how, like, how do they get comfortable and like like what do the creatives do to make sure that they're comfortable in the show yeah yeah definitely a lot of check-ins a lot of open communication and you know the lack of judgment you know yeah. we we do the extent we need to do to tell the story and then um but but safety comes first um which i think is always key yeah it's important yeah. so how do you work on self-confidence in an industry like this? Cause it's hard and you get told, like you get told no sometimes. So everyone gets told no. And I don't think that everyone realizes that when they go into audition and they're, they're told no, they're like, oh, this is like the end of the world. Yeah. Everyone gets told no. Um, constantly and daily. That's how I work on self-confidence. You know, it's, it's such a battle, um, especially right now where there's no work really. Um, you know, it's a constant battle of telling yourself that you are more than your work. Um, I think a lot of actors, myself completely included, equates my worth to what I'm doing, to how I'm working, to, you know, what stories I'm telling, where I am in my career. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we're human beings too. And right now it's a hard thing because we, you know, us actors, at least for myself, you know, we feel made to do this and we feel like this is our calling and this is our passion. And we know that this is our calling and our passion. So, um, not being able to do that is really tough. So, you know, it's a, it's a daily reminder that we are still worthy and we are, you know, confident and secure. That confidence, I think, is such a battle because sometimes I'll feel great and, I'll, you know, I feel so confident in who I am. And sometimes, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and just feel like, you know, I struggle, you know, I look in the mirror and I, yeah, you know, but who doesn't? And I think that's the major thing. Um, but daily, constantly, and always making a conscious effort to love myself. And, you know, the days that I don't, to go back and remind myself to, you know, I've um, found a couple things that have helped, like journaling and meditation and all these things. And, you know, some days it doesn't do anything. And other days, it's my saving grace. Um, 
So it's always listening to my body, listening to my emotions and my feelings and just, um, you know, taking comfort in the fact that as actors, um, as people in this business and as human beings, you know, we all experience this and we all are fighting, you know, those demons inside that tell us we're less than, so. Oh, for sure, for sure. And comparing ourselves to other people constantly. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially as we get older. I was talking to someone yesterday and it's especially as we get older. Absolutely, you know, I think um, something that I always take comfort in, but, you know, always have to remind myself too, because sometimes the feelings take over the logic. Um, But we're all unique individuals, you know, not, we're all so different. We're not going to go through life walking the same exact step and um, encountering the same exact situations and experiences. So, you know, sometimes when I start to do that, when I start to compare myself, I have to remember, it's like, right, we all have different paths in life and there's no right or wrong way to do that. And in an industry like the theater industry, especially when you're in like a show that gets like a long run, whether it's on Broadway or regionally, like the theater fans love to see different portrayals of the same character. Yeah. Theater fans. So it's like, you don't want to be the same as anyone else. No, I love that. I, you know, I've never heard someone say that, but it's so true. You know, that's one of my favorite things about seeing a show is seeing how different human beings tell the same story, but tell it differently. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's why I've seen Wicked like 500 times, not yeah. really 500 times, but like 20 times. <laughs> So speaking of that, what are you most looking forward to when Life Theater does return? Honestly, a big reunion. I just want to see my friends and I just want to create with other people. Um, I've been very fortunate to do little gigs here and there. Um, but I miss, I miss performing with people in person and feeling the energies of different people. Um, working virtually, it has been, you know, a blessing, a saving grace, but it, it's not the same. You know, live theater yeah. is live theater for a reason. Um, and I honestly can't wait to just hug people. <laughs> right? <laughs> I can't wait to, till we, I mean, I know masks are going to be around for a while, but I can't wait until it becomes a normal thing to not have masks again. Yeah, it's so crazy because, you know, sometimes I'll watch a commercial that was filmed before the pandemic. And I'm like, where are their masks? And like, you know, my mind like goes there. Out. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, we used to live without that, you know, but yeah. For the time being, that's what's keeping us safe. And hopefully one day we will get back to that place where, you know, hugs are normal again and we can all work together in person. I hope so. Sooner than later. (laughs) So lastly, have you been working on anything in this time period that you'd like to promote, whether it's theater related or not? Um, Yeah, I actually, um, something that I picked up halfway through a couple months back was um, a health coaching. So I've been in school to become a health coach um you know I I think I found myself at a really dark place and it was you know like so many you know it was just struggling with uh you know how how everything was looking and um I I ended up signing up to for classes to become a health coach a holistic nutrition um coach and so not something to replace theater by any means but you know that was something that I found while I was on tour that really helped me taking care of my body taking care of my spiritual and mental health Um, so I really wanted to learn more how to do that and, you know, hopefully help myself, um, the next time I'm in a show, uh, hopefully, you know, sometime soon, but, and also help other actors that are facing the same thing. You know, we were talking about self-confidence a little bit ago and, you know, this, this health coaching has been something that has been teaching me how to love myself, how to heal myself from past traumas, how to heal other people, um, and one of my favorite things as an actor is being able to tell stories that help 
heal other people. And so being able to study what it's like to be a health coach and being able to heal other people that way as well. Um, I just feel like it goes hand in hand and uh, yeah. So that's something I've been kind of up to and then singing my shower here, you know, and (laughs) yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, definitely missing theater, but uh, yeah, that was maybe a silver lining that came out of the pandemic is a, is a, another love as well. And when theater gets back, you can help people with your knowledge that you've, that you've learned during this time. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, that's the thing. It's one of my favorite things about this program and it's what I've learned. It's kind of like being someone's best friend, you know, being someone to listen and to, um, you know, just that's like one of the biggest things in the program is listening and, um, and being able to help people by listening to their stories and, you know, imparting your advice where you can and your knowledge where you can, but at the end of the day, it's kind of just learning how to, um, how to heal yourself and heal other people at the same time. I love that so much. That's really inspiring. And to, um, to keep up with you and anything else that's like super inspiring, like you've been talking about, where can people follow you on social media? Absolutely. So Instagram is really my only social media platform at the moment. I'm trying to build a TikTok um, yes. for singing videos. I'm not really sure. Um, but at the moment, E-M underscore Bautista, B-A-U-T-I-S-T-A is my Instagram handle. And uh, you can follow me there. I would say someone else was like, I'm new to TikTok. I was like, okay, everyone on TikTok needs to get on the Bridgerton train so I can cast everyone in that. It is so good. I was like, you know, my roommate and I sing it all the time. It's so, I was like, it's so good. <laughs> I, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I'm looking forward to <laughs> this weekend. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for joining me on this today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for watching this episode of Backstage with Becca B. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Becca B Talks TV. Or for more exclusive content from this interview and more, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Backstage with Becca B. Make sure to subscribe to my channel and like this video. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me a five-star rating. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye!